Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. And do you know what's back? The Champions League. It's been over two months since our last taste of European action. But this week it returned with the round of 16. Paris Saint-Germain were France's sole representative in the elite competition as they faced off against Barcelona at the Camp Nou. And that match will make up the bulk of our chat today. The Europa League also returns this week though with Lille representing France in that one and their match against Ajax is actually ongoing at the moment. I've got Eric Devin and Philip Bargiel alongside me today and we're actually all watching it on streams that are at varying different levels of being up to date. Philip, I think you're the most up to date at the moment. How, how, how's that game going? What's, what's the score at the moment? Um, good evening everyone. It's still 1-0 to Lille. Uh, Timo's here we are, uh, scored from a um, weak uh, Tagliafico back pass. It's uh, 81 minutes I've got, and uh, so nine minutes to go. And so far, Lilo are 1-0 up, which is, a good, which is good. Is that deserved, do you think? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think all three of us would, be, would all agree that it's not particularly deserved, especially from what uh, Lille have been playing in the first half. The second half has been a bit, uh, you know, not much happening. But, uh, yeah, I guess I've played some lovely stuff, but haven't really uh, troubled Mignon all that much for what, uh, uh, for all the possession and, uh, and all the technical moves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll take it. It's been, it's been a good week for French football so far. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we want the French teams going on and winning and keeping that momentum going. Of course, last season, so much got said about French football and, and how the league did in the Champions League and in the Europa League. And hopefully that can keep going with PSG and Lille, the two teams that are still in the competition. Uh, but without a further ado, let's get into some of the, the the main match that was this week. The match that was the talk of the town on Tuesday. It set social media on fire and had every media organisation in the world talking all about the same guy. That was PSG versus Barcelona, as has been widely reported by much of the world's media, as well as Get Spanish Football News, their terrific coverage that has been throughout the Spanish season so far, and of course the Champions League as well. You know, everyone has reported that Barcelona are not exactly the team they once were. That said, look at their starting eleven, and it's still full of household names. Ter Stegen, Piquet, Alba, Busquets, De Jong, Griezmann and Messi, of course, all guys that are at different levels of their career at the moment, different stages, but still terrific players, terrific quality and guys who have been there and very much have done that. But that didn't matter anything to PSG on Tuesday as they turned up in Barcelona and thumped them 4-1. Lionel Messi actually got the opening goal in this one after 27 minutes with Laban Kujaba fouling in the box. That went to Lionel Messi, 12 yards out. He sticks it in the top right corner. That's the thing that you just you assume from him. And Lionel Messi, who you know has been debated, is he the best player in the world? Is it Ronaldo? He's up there, but the next guy who could be taking that mantelpiece, you know, after that goal went in, that's when he really started to shine. Kellyan Mbappe, five minutes after that goal went in, he equalises it 1-1. A lovely ball from Marco Verratti and thumped it into the top corner. 1-1 at half time. A lot of confidence going to the PSG side. You know, they, they scored second. They've got the momentum with them. And the second half, they just kept going and kept going. Kellyan Mbappe, 65 minutes in. He makes it 2-1. 
Moyes Kane, 70 minutes in, he scores from the set piece to make it 3-1. And then Kelly Mbappe once more finishing off the hat-trick to make it 4-1 to BSG. A massive, massive win for Paris in this first leg of the round of 16. With this win, they became the first French side to beat Barca at the Camp Nou in the Champions League and only the second French team to beat Barca in Barcelona in any competition since FC Mets, actually, in 1984. Jeremy Smith will be very pleased to hear that stat come up again. Uh, back then, actually, it was 4-1. That was the scoreline as well, with a Yugoslavian striker Tony Kurbos getting a hat-trick, funnily enough, on that night. But that said, let's talk about the here and now. Eric Devin. 4-1 PSG, Kelly Mbappe, Kelly Mbappe, Kelly Mbappe, a historic win for Paris, surely. Yeah, sorry, we've got, Philip, do we have a, an outcome on this penalty? Is it, is it, a, is it a penalty? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little ahead of, ahead of you, so the ref is uh, watching at the, at the video, uh, so it, it seems very, very light, it's so far from Renato well, Sanchez or Pico. Pico. Speaking of, speaking of light penalties, right, that was our... Yeah, That's how exactly. Started on Tuesday. Oh, it's confirmed. The penalty is confirmed. We'll get we'll get <laughs> this on the moment reaction. Then we'll move on to the Barcelona stuff. But let's get this. Let's get the here now. This is the game for Lille tonight. You know, it's the big one for them. He's one one. There we go. Probably probably a deserved score if that holds. I would say. To, to me, it is. Yeah, to me, it is. Yeah. Unfortunate uh, okay. for Ajax to get that away goal. Yeah. Uh, so like. Yeah, the, I think the match on Tuesday was great. I think that's, you know, uh, probably as well as I've seen PSG play this season. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, especially in a match in which you're missing, you know, your two primary creative catalysts in, in terms of Angel Di Maria and, and Neymar, uh, to, to play that well uh, was good. I mean, I think we, we certainly have to say that they rode their luck a little bit with, Musi can stay on the pitch, or sorry, uh, just a gay staying on the pitch, uh, given how, given the niggly fouls, he continued to dole out even after his booking. But I think on the whole, yeah, um, Pochettino looks like he's getting this right. It's it's not quite the the rigid four two three one that we associate with him. Um, there's some more mutability uh, with Ferrati often dropping deep, but uh, he's really getting a song out of out of Paredes in particular. Um, Ander Herrera was excellent after replacing Gay as well. Uh, really impressive performance from a player who really hasn't played for most of the last two months. Just a really complete uh, performance. I don't think there's any anybody in that PSG side who I would necessarily uh, take to task for the way that they played. Uh, so, you know, really heartening to see. And I think that, you know, on the balance of the performances that we've seen through these first four matches, uh, two yesterday and two on Tuesday, uh, PSG certainly look the sharpest uh, of all the, the Champions League sides that have played so far. Now, of course, um, Bayern Munich are still to play, for example, uh, as are Real Madrid, and we know uh, just how good uh, Zidane can have his sides up for up for the cup. But I think that I scored again. Know, so wait, Rick. Oh boy, I have scored Wobby. again. Wobby. Oh, oh my. Oh yeah, boy. Okay, that's yeah. that's pointing Klassen, <laughs> and then who's in here to score? Ugh. The substitute. What's his name? Brabby. Okay. Mm. All right. Well. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so this game's kind of going to this one's going from a good result to a pretty terrible yeah. result. Then two yeah, goals away from home. I mean, it's it's nothing. You know, if they get Yilmaz and 
Andre back for the next match. I'm not saying they can't go there and win 2-0, but it's that's a that's, that's a tall order. Jeez, that's a quite a gut result as well. After such a good like run of form, you know, so many games unbeaten, really playing well, coming into this game in good form. I know they drew their last match against Brest, but to be one 0 up against Ajax and then have that snatch away from them. But I guess that's a that's a result of you know them not playing well. Like like I understand they were a little bit lucky to be leading in the first place, but like Ajax have created the better result, the the better chances. They've definitely been on top for a lot of this game. So. You've got to just look at that and be like, that was inevitable. I don't know 100% if going away to Amsterdam in, in the second leg is going to be so easy, if, if it's feasible that they could go there and get a, a big result. But, geez, oh, that is, a, that is a, a massive result coming out of France. Lille 2-1 down at the moment. Um, so let's return to the PSG game here. Like I said, we are going to have a lot of reaction to the Lille match at the end once that really does wrap up after our kind of PSG chat. But Philip, as a fan looking at this game, would you have dreamed that 10 years ago PSG would be turning up to the Camp Nou and winning 4-1? It's got to be historically for the club an absolutely gargantuan result. Uh, 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, the Qataris came in. And uh, no, I don't think I would have dreamt uh, something like that happening. I actually didn't think something like that would happen uh, on Tuesday evening because uh, this this had a very Old Trafford feel, this game, in, in the sense that um, it was away from home. We had key players missing, so no Di Maria, no Neymar. And uh, we went there with uh, those two, two, key, two, key, two key players missing, sorry. Uh, played absolutely superb, played them off the pitch. Um, and uh, then we have to wait three weeks uh, for the return leg, which is at home. And everybody's going to say, "Come on, well, surely we can't, you know, we can't get knocked out um, like we did in the, the infamous uh, remontada four years ago." But uh, we did get knocked out by Manchester United. Uh, this is why I'm just not, uh, you know, being too emphatic about that uh, that win. I'm not saying, you know, we're we're already through like uh, a lot of people. I mean, nobody here is actually saying, okay, PSG are through to the quarterfinals because they won for one under cap. Now they're they're saying it's a it's a great performance, but uh, you know, let's uh, keep uh, let's uh, not be arrogant as usual. Let's keep uh, the uh, let's keep being modest. Let's be modest for for a change. And uh, and not think that we're already qualified for the uh, for the quarterfinals. So to to me, honestly, I won't I won't be happy until uh, until March tenth at uh, eleven o'clock um, eleven o'clock uh, uh, Central European time. Um, it's just it's just the way the club is. It's you can't. You can't take anything for granted, especially after what uh, what we've uh, we've endured, shall we say? Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, fans of other sides would like would have liked to endure what we have endured, like uh, beating Barcelona four 0 winning at Old Trafford two 0 I mean, great uh, great European results. But on the game, I mean, it was uh, it was it was it was strange first first of all because uh, there was some kind of um, uh, short. Close, something close to to anxiety, but not exactly anxiety. Uh, each time, uh, each time Barcelona had the ball, uh, I was actually quite um, uh, annoyed uh, up until the time M- uh, Mbappe scores uh, his first, which was our first away goal. Because what I didn't want was uh, Barcelona not continuing any goals at home and coming to the Parc des Princes 
And if they scored, then we'd have to have a mountain to climb and stuff like that. Um, so the penalty to me, very, very minimal. Um, like um, it, it sounded a lot, uh, again, I talked about Manchester United before. It sounded a lot like uh, Manchester United. I mean, this was a very, very light touch on um, um, De Jong, I think it was. And then Messi scores a penalty and it's 1-0. And it was it was a bit it was a bit like well here we go again here we go again with v, with VAR um, shall we say prioritizing uh, the the other clubs um, so this is this is also why uh, people are, are really not uh, not being too arrogant about the about the return leg because of because of VAR and because it's Barcelona and because of all those all those uh, factors. Then we've got the most the amazing performances from almost everyone. I, I'm going to say Gay was uh, was above average, but the, the rest were just uh, so so good that it it doesn't me- doesn't mean he had a bad game. I thought he didn't close uh, di- didn't defend the uh, the defense uh, well enough. That sometimes there were there were a bit of space behind between him and the defensive line of Marquinhos and Kimpembe, but uh, those happen on very small occurrences. I don't think he did, he should have been sent off. I don't think he was lucky. I mean, Busquets is a yeah. He he knows how to play the how to play the uh, the, the villain, um, and um, he didn't get sent off. And in the end, in the end, it was it was one one in the, at halftime. Everybody is saying, okay, I mean, we we, we should we we should see we should see this off. And at some at some point. Uh, a lot of people were saying, uh, you know, I, I knew Barcelona were not as good as they used to be, but I didn't, I didn't think they were, they were that bad. And um, everybody had a great game second half, as Eric said. Herrera had uh, had a had a wonderful uh, set, uh, half as he came on at uh, at half time, and so you know nobody was uh, was at fault. There was one thing I'm, I'm, uh, I'd like because I haven't read it in any way on social media or in the press. And I'd like to, to, to get your views on that. We started the second half very uh, strongly, I thought, for the first 10 minutes. Then for the, for the, for the other 10 minutes, it was a more Barcelona pressure. Now, I'm thinking that maybe that's, this was a tactic from Pochettino saying, OK, start strongly. Then for 10 minutes, you, you relax a bit. You let them come in. You, uh, you, uh, you play, play a bit of defense and then you go back forward. So maybe it's just me. But that's that's how I thought that's that's how I thought the uh, the, the second half uh, went until uh, Mbappe's Mbappe's second goal. No, I think it was uh, Keane who got the second. And uh, well, anyway, that's uh, that's how I thought the second half came on. I'm just going to finish finish there and say that Ajax won the game at Lille two one. So that's that's that. So yeah. Okay. What do you guys? It... Okay, Grant. Um... You mentioned there when you, when you were mentioning, it, and I feel like when you look at this fixture, it can't not be mentioned. But the remontada, the 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 famous four 0 I think, in the first half and first leg, and then six one or five one or whatever it was in the second leg. Does that still does that still like like ring true in, in Paris fans' ears? Like when they go to these games, these big Champions League matches, and they are so comfortable in the first half, even though. It's a completely different team. It's a completely different manager. Does that still like hold an effect on the team? And do you think that could act as an incentive even more for PSG to really turn up in that second leg to not provide another remontada, if you get what I mean, Philip? 
Definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, even even after what happened against Manchester United at home, uh, so were Montada, um, there, there used to be the uh, La Coruña um, uh, incident when uh, we were 2-0 up at uh, La Coruña, who were great. So that, this was way back. I mean, this was, I think it was 2000, 2003, 2004. And then La Coruña scored four goals. I think it was 3-0 up after 60 minutes, and then La Coruña scored four goals. And that was the worst Champions League experience we've, we've ever had, PSG. But back then, you know, PSG didn't, didn't really have Champions League experiences at all. So, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a different time. But losing, six, losing that game 6-1 at Barcelona... Is ex- I mean extremely traumatic and uh, and honestly uh, everybody's talking about the Tada even uh, four four years later and I'm pretty sure uh, something even worse would have to happen for people not mention uh, for for people trying to trying to stop mentioning it in in the in you know in a decade or so I mean people are still mm. talking about it and uh, it's not going to stop. Mm. Eric Deven. This, I feel, was Mauricio Pochettino's first kind of big challenge as PSG manager. He's been in the job, I think, a little over a month now, around a month. And there have been some doubts over him in the very early stages, some games, some results not being ideal, even though he is still very early into his tenure. But he'll be beaming looking back at that match. He must be so proud of what his boys did and and, and what he did as well. Like He provided very much to that. To that, to that game. So, what was your opinion of of his performance here? Has his way of dealing through the match, you know, his first major decision, I, I guess, at halftime, being Ander Herrera and address a gay out. Yeah, well, this is, this is kind of funny. Herrera has been hurt, obviously, but I I, I feel like you know I had written about this in the Guardian a few weeks ago. Is that it seemed to me very strange his, his use of Ken. Um, Ken started and scored in both of his first two matches under Pochettino. And then I don't think he even played 70 minutes over the next six or seven matches. Uh, now, starting at the weekend, you've got him back in the side. You've got him playing goals. You've got, you've got a player who's willing to work for the team. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it is a matter of taking some time to get acclimated to these players to understand, you know, what their tactical proclivities are and to understand what their level of versatility is in terms of the roles that they can play. And I think that he's getting to grips with that in a better way. I mean, I, do, I think that, you know, his use of Paredes is, is impressive as well. You know, Paredes is a player who, you know, I, I think was somewhat miscast when he arrived at PSG. I, I think that we thought, we, you know, people thought him to be perhaps the heir apparent to Tiago Mato. He's this big, uh, bruising uh, South American. That's not really his game. He's He's got more passing now to him, and I, he's kind of slow and, and kind of plodding, but in terms of the role that Mata could play in terms of recycling the ball and keeping possession, um, that's not really something he's had an opportunity to do as much under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and I, I think that, that Pochettino has brought out that side of him and allowed PSG to control matches better in that way. Now, with something that's very particular, you need a, a hardworking midfielder around him if you're going to play a 4-2-3-1 or indeed a 4-4-2 when uh, Neymar and Di Maria are fit. Uh, but you've got that in Gay. You've got that in... Um, and under Herrera, uh, would, would I play Paredes in a two with Verratti in a four-four-two in a big match? Probably not. Um, but I think that the development that we've seen um, from Paredes here, uh, really coming out of his shell, um, I think we saw it start to evince itself at the weekend. The passes he was playing over the top to Mbappe were really impressive. Um, but 
giving that team an additional level of guile and creativity in midfield, um, I think is really making the difference for PSG. I think that um, the arm around the shoulder approach to developing players, I know Paredes isn't exactly young. I think he's 26. Um, but I think in terms of getting players to improve, uh, even in a relatively short span of time, that's something that we 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 associate with Mauricio Pochettino. And I think that, uh, that w- that's definitely been borne out, particularly in the case of Paredes. Um, and you know, we shouldn't undersell that because uh, he's a very talented player. And I think that he, if he's used in that way, can really be that sort of midfield ingredient that, that PSG sometimes seem to lack, especially um, if you have a situation. And again, Verratti was excellent on Tuesday. But uh, if you do have a situation where Verratti's suspended, he's no stranger to yellow cards, or he's injured. He's also a player who's injured frequently. Um, to know that um, sort of that, that sense of vision and that sense of ball retention um, that Verratti can add to the team, uh, if not dribbling ability, I, I don't think we associate priorities with that, but um, that, that building play from the back, linking defense to attack, uh, I think Paredes is going to be a really important conduit for that aspect of PSG's play. And that's, that's a huge positive. And I think that uh, that's something that, again, now that Pochettino's had 10 matches with this team, 10 odd matches, and I'm not sure exactly how many it is, um, he, he appears to be more comfortable and he appears to be ready to use these players in a way that makes sense. And I think that, you know, if he can keep everybody happy when, when everybody's fit, I mean, he's still got um, Di Maria and Neymar to come back to full fitness. Uh, I, I think the PSG look pretty good. I, I, I think that, you know, obviously the proof's going to be in the pudding when they face Monaco this, this Sunday, but um, I think the performance uh, on Tuesday, albeit against, you know, not the best Barcelona, PK hadn't played in three months, um, shows development, uh, shows improvement um, since the arrival of Pochettino. Uh, I'm not not improvement versus versus their play under Tuchel, but improvement under how they looked initially under under Pochettino. I think that that bodes well for the rest of the season. <clears throat> There's a lot to, uh, if, I, if I may jump in. There was a lot of negativity after the defeats to uh, to Lorient and other sides, and uh, this is this is basically where Pochettino's uh, Pochettino's first glance at uh, what he can do with uh, with players such as uh, such as Paredes or Moise Keane. Uh, I mean, Paredes looks uh, a completely transformed player under Pochettino, and I mean, p- um, p- people uh, people have been have been using you know the uh, the nationality. Uh, uh, Card saying, "Well, they're both Argentines, so they, they get along." But I think I think it's a bit it's a bit more it's a bit more subtle than than that. I mean, he's he's really looked like uh, a much more confident player player on the ball. Um, and uh, on on the on the lineup on Tuesday Tuesday evening, it's almost like uh, those uh, the two major absentees that were Di Maria and Neymar actually helped him to uh, to uh, first of all establish the starting eleven. Uh, way before kickoff, and basically to to say, okay, that's our game plan, and it and well, obviously it worked. So it's almost like um, like uh, we 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 probably played. Uh, it probably served served Pochettino not having Di Maria and Neymar in some way. <clears throat> Let's talk about that actually, because th- this was something that was talked a lot about on Twitter. I know the GFFN Twitter was talking a lot about this, and and they were asking. This team has just beat Barcelona 4-1 at the Camp Nou. Say what you will about Barcelona, but any team that's got Messi 
in in their squads. That's that's a mean feat whenever that happens. So who who do you take out? Where do you switch about? You've got Neymar, you've got Angel Di Maria, one of the the best players of the last I don't know however many years you want to say, and Di Maria, one of the best players of recent times. You know, two terrific footballers. So Philip, who do you switch about? Who do you take in? Who do you put out? Like I feel like it's a team that operated so well on Tuesday that even though you've got these fantastic players sitting on the bench, um, I don't really know where they fit in. No, I don't. I don't, I don't even think Pochettino knows uh, knows yet. Um, there, it's um, there have been quite a few performances. I think it was against Nice where Di Maria was found much easier than he than than usually um, because Neymar wasn't playing, and so Di Maria he linked well with uh, Sarabia, and um, I think uh, Sarabia scored in the scored in the first half, and basically those two. They managed to. Uh, they, they were playing uh, uh, wingers, and they they managed to to do uh, to do the job uh, properly and be seen by basically the other players much more than if uh, Neymar were playing. And the same was was happening with Mbappe on Tuesday evening. I mean, it was always uh, much easier to find him because he was on the wing. He wasn't uh, he wasn't playing as a centre forward, which he sometimes was. I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to talk about this this Nice game. Um, Kylian Mbappe uh, has never really been uh, an out-and-out centre-forward playing, you know, with, uh, as as a centre-forward. Uh, I'm not talking about his days at Monaco because he was playing in a 4-4-2 with with Falcao. For France, he was playing on the right wing. He did superb against Argentina. He had a great World Cup. He's world champion uh, playing as a right winger. I mean, he's 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 great on the wing. So first of all. One one of the things that is a, a real problem to uh, to uh, I would say to to Pochettino is that uh, you're not supposed to put Mbappe up front, but you're probably going to have to because otherwise you're going to have you're going to have to drop either uh, Di Maria or Keane. So it's basically basically what uh, what would happen would be you put Icardi up front, then you have Neymar on the left as he usually is. If you're playing a 4-3-3, and Mbappe on the right, but then the the other thing that you can do is put Neymar as a number ten, which 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 would probably probably happen uh, in in some occasions. But Virati had a, did such a good job, even though he wasn't actually fully match fit. Uh, he he did such a fantastic job over 70 minutes as a number ten that there's suddenly there's there's competition. So first of all, you have to you have to you have to think about what system you want. And that's when you're going to see, okay, we we, we should uh, we should drop that guy or that guy. But to me, I mean, the the one-two drop. I think Moise, Moise Keane will uh, does does know he he is as a modest type, and he does know he's in, he's in a big he's in a big squad. He's not even a, I mean, he's not under, even under contract. I mean, there's there's uh, lots of talk about him. He's still on loan from from Everton, and and everybody is saying you know buy him because he's 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 been he's been very good. I mean, his attitude has been spot on. I mean, no problem. Um, so I would say Moisekin would be on the bench, and he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't uh, have a hissy fit about it. And Di Maria, Di Maria too, because I think his time with us it's, uh, is uh, closing to an end. I don't know when his contract is ending, but sometimes along, uh, you know, the next couple of years, I, I think he he'll be gone. So yeah, I, I, I would expect him to to be more uh, get accustomed to 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 be on the bench a bit more, like mm-hmm. he was under talk. 
Eric Devin, let's talk a little bit about Kylian Mbappe in this match then. He obviously got a fantastic hat-trick in this one and it's it's maybe a bit of a cliche, but it's the type of thing that sometimes comes up when you do go up against either a Messi or a Ronaldo. Are we starting to see him take the mantle from at least one of those greats really start to cement himself as the next dominant figure in men's football, Eric Devin? I mean, we could have had this discussion given his performances in the World Cup. I, You know, it, it, it's hard to say because I think that in a lot of ways, the way he's been used at PSG uh, has been, I, I don't want to say problematic, but it's been, it, it's been a little bit difficult. You know, Messi and Ronaldo, the way that the, the t- their, teams, the, their teams have been set up around them, I mean, that's it. Their teams have been set up around them. I don't necessarily know that with with the Neymar, with even with Anthony Maria in the side, uh, has Messi or has Mbappe had a, had a stretch um, around, with the team played around him. I mean, this is the thing. You know, Neymar has been in and out of the side so often through injury that you know that the, the level of respect he commands when he is fit means that play has been adapted around him and that the system continues to change around Mbappe. So I, I think that we really need to see him have a, have a run in a, in a team that's built around him in a consistent way to, to really anoint him in that, in that way. I mean, you know, in Messi and Ronaldo, we're talking about, you know, two of the top five footballers of all time, probably. And, you know, is Mbappe fantastic? Has what he's done uh, in these first five seasons of his career, uh, starting with that first year in Monaco, impressive? Absolutely, without a, without a word of a doubt. He's the most exciting uh, young footballer in the world. So, you know, again, you might make a case for uh, for Holland at Dortmund as well, um, but I think in terms of sheer excitement and versatility and pace and uh, just the electric character of their play, Mbappe does take the cake there. Um, again, but I, I think I just need to see it more consistently and and to see how he can really thrive as the focal point of a team. I don't think he's necessarily been afforded that yet on a consistent level uh, at club at club level or even even a country too. I mean, you know, if we think tactically at least tactically, uh, you know, France are built around. Olivier Giroud. And I, I think that if we bear that in mind, um, yeah, I think we just need to wait and see a little bit. And that's taking nothing away from his play on um, on Tuesday. And to me, that does go a long way towards um, speaking to his the, the criticism of his Champions League gold drought, which he had ended, I believe, against Shakhtar here in, in the knockout stages. Um, you know, the hat trick at the at the new camp is quite the repost to critics. Um, but let's see how it goes. And again, the other thing, too, is if we do want to criticize him for how he played in the final eight, I and mean, he was half fit uh, after having been uh, fouled by, by Loic Perrin in the, the Coupe de la Ligue final. So, you know, let's see how he does in, in these knockout rounds with full fitness, with the team around him that can, that can help him. You know, if, knock on wood, PSG do, do progress, he'll have uh, the creativity of Neymar and, and uh, Di Maria alongside him, and I think that can really allow him to spread his wings and, and I think make that statement a little bit more decisively. But for me, for the moment, the jury's still out. The big question being, is Mbappe versatile? 
Well, I, th- I think that we've seen that he can play he can play on the left, certainly. He, he has played on the right with success for France. He, has, he can play as part of a two. He can play maybe a little bit less effectively as a lone striker. But I, I think, I mean, does that define versatility for you, Philip? No, no, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a criticism or, or, or anything. Uh, but to, to me, his best games have always been as a winger, uh, except maybe if there's a, as a Monaco time. Uh, but to me, he's, it's always been as a winger in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. So it's, it's not like a, a lot of people are saying he should, he should be playing up top to make, uh, to, to make room for. It's uh, also a PSG, Panzer, uh, PSG podcast I listen to saying he, should, he, he shouldn't be playing uh, up front. And then when he's playing up front, he's not being found very often because Liga players play um, between, um, uh, with 10 men behind the ball. So everybody is starting criticizing him without taking without taking into consideration the fact that he hasn't had any rest since, uh, what, June or something like that. Um, and uh, so, 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 so to, to me, uh, I think he should, he should stay on the wing. I don't think he should be part of a, uh, maybe, maybe as a part of a 4-4-2, but a very, very dynamic 4-4-2 like he had at Monaco, which doesn't happen very often in, in European football. Um, and yeah, that's it to me. It's uh, it's his his uh, probably his best game, his best game at club level. And uh, yeah, still uh, and still that that other comparison would be Argentina in uh, in 2018, where he was absolutely fabulous. And so those two games, he was playing one on the right wing, one on the left wing. So yeah, that 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 was basically me me saying I don't think he should be playing uh, as a centre forward in a, in a four three three or four two three one. Yeah, I, I think. At the end of the day, with Mbappe, it's, it's he is still very young. He's twenty two. He's got a lot of big games ahead of him. He's got a lot of like decisive games ahead of him. And and as soon as you get the Messi's and the Ronaldo's, as soon as they retire, they get out of the picture. Messi probably a lot more sooner than Ronaldo probably. Uh, just with the way I see their careers going, as soon as they're at the picture, we'll start to maybe appreciate who the next generation is going to be. Who's going to start building that dynasty? So many people are saying Haaland and and. Uh, Mbappe to be the kind of attacking twosome that we've begun to get a bit more accustomed to in the last 10 years. That's always kind of been the, the at least when I, the football that I've grown up with, I've always known that kind of twosome being the 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 tippity top players that you look up to and maybe Mbappe and Haaland could become that. And to be honest, in honesty, I get everything you two have said, but I still think that's going to be the dynasty. I still think that's going to be the, the, the big two that everyone will look up to and that every club will want to get a bit of, just a bit of. Um, okay, let's move on to the other match then that was actually played tonight, finished around about 25, half an hour, uh, half an hour ago, 25 minutes ago, and this was Lille versus Ajax in the Europa League, the round of 16, the first of two legs. Lille opened with their home match in this one, but as you'll have heard throughout this podcast, they did end up losing it. They went 1-0 up in the second half after Timothy Weah uh, got a fantastic assist from Nicholas Tegliafico, which he probably didn't expect to give to the other team. He nicked onto that, got the first goal, fantastic, 72 minutes in, but then it was a late Flurry from the Amsterdam side, Dusan Tadic scoring a penalty and then Brian Broby getting the winner just two minutes later in the 89th minute as Amsterdam, Ajax Amsterdam do take the advantage back to the second leg, which will be 
in Holland. Philip, the home leg, you've always got to get at least a draw on that, don't you? So Christoph Galtier, the entire team will be distraught that they couldn't even hold on to to one to, to a 1-1 draw in this one, won't they? Well, unless they want to uh, to focus on the league like uh, most French, French sides do. No, I, um, I'm joking. I honestly hope not. But um, to me, yeah, the first half was not uh, was really not a great a great game to watch. Um, with um, with Lille playing uh, playing as a four four two, but just could not could not see any any of the balls. There was uh, some uh, some great uh, counter pressing, uh, most probably from um, uh, if there are ever, any Everton fans listening, uh, David Clarsen, who had uh, who had a great first half. Um, I actually all their possession couldn't get uh, couldn't get their uh, couldn't get much chances. I think Mike Mignon made uh, one save in in the first half, um, and it was uh, it was from a, a mis- uh, defensive defensive mistake. I think I think it was uh, Renildo who who didn't uh, who didn't follow up uh, to uh, didn't follow up to towards the right back. But anyway, um, yeah, Lille were completely absent, and uh, then the, the goal came. Uh, quite uh, quite fortunately, um, but we have to talk about that penalty incident, uh, which we mentioned uh, at the very beginning of this uh, of this podcast, where the referee gave uh, gave a very uh, generous penalty, almost as generous as uh, as a Messi as a Messi penalty. Uh, VAR uh, tells him to come over and look at it. He looks at it, but still gives a penalty. Very uh, yeah, very strange. Not uh, well, not a great decision for for. For, for us, obviously, for, for French football fans, as uh, conceding a goal at home is not good. But then uh, I just go in and score a second. So uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, we talked about uh, we talked about the returns of uh, of Cheka and Yilmaz uh, before. Um, I really do believe that Lille will need at least uh, both of them uh, next uh, next week in order to to overturn that. I did hear the uh, the commentators. Say that uh, Yilmaz will will probably not be able to uh, play this weekend in the league, but uh, that he should be he should be match fit for next week. So fingers crossed. And uh, well, actually, they didn't uh, they didn't really mention Chica, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, at least with uh, with Yilmaz, there's more of a chance because uh, yeah, Yazici wasn't uh, uh, didn't have a great game. I mean, he's had uh, some great uh, great European campaigns, going a hat trick at the San Siro. But uh, yeah, not tonight. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't his night. So let's hope. You know, it's not over. It's only half time. I, I think. I think one thing we do have to take away from this, and I, I completely concur with what Philip has just said there. I think we do have to realize that just how much of a heartbeat uh, the Benjamin Andre is to this team, um, how he's able to break up play and to shield that defense, while also allowing whether it's Sanchez or or Sheka playing next to him to get forward and facilitate the attack. Uh, I think that's something that's really important, and his his absence was really keenly felt tonight. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of hope for the reverse fixture, uh, particularly with the news that Phillips just offered there that that Yilmaz could be fit. You know, I, I think he definitely changed that match in. Uh, um, oh, was that against Celtic or Milan? They came back to to they came back from a, a goal down. Um, but I, 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 I think that yeah. yeah. So I think I think that. Uh, you know, the return of those two gives Lille a chance, but I think that, you know, Galtier has been a magician this season, but I think that that is a little bit of the chickens coming home to roost in terms of just how thin that squad is and the fact that, you know, f- for as good of a club as Lille are, uh, you know, 
player for them, a player a level a level of Benjamin Andre does not grow on trees, and his absence was again, like I said, very keenly felt. And it's a shame given how well they played in the group stage, but um, you know, if you're, it's just it just really drives home the fact that the resources uh, for them to compete on two fronts is uh, maybe a step beyond at least at least for the current um, campaign. However, I don't think they'll be distraught if they actually get knocked out. I think it will it all enable them to focus on the league and get a Champions League uh, Champions League spot for next season, which is uh, you know not bad at all. Well, yeah, the, the league at the moment is really starting to become like a a big real goal for them now. You know, like in years gone by when they've been competing on on several different fronts, it's like okay, the league was never really a a realistic goal that they could actually win it. But this season. It is the big one. It's the one where they could actually win it, Phillips. So, like you said there, maybe it's not the worst result for them uh, all in all. You know, say they say they do go out in the second leg, which I think they will. It's experience under the belt for a young team in Europe and it just frees them up uh, to concentrate a bit more on the league. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world and there's a bit more positivity that you can take from this result. Okay, fantastic though. That's going to wrap us up. Thank you very much for listening again to this GFFN podcast. We didn't get to do a lot of previewing in this one, but there was a lot of European chat that was just too irresistible to get through, obviously, with PSG and Lille. Let's hope that when the second legs come round, PSG do manage to not concede another remontada and get through this leg, get through that Barcelona leg. And let's hope that Lille, you know, like I said, there's positives for both sides if they lose or if they win. But let's hope Lille can get the better uh, outcome from the game, whatever that is for them at the end of the season. Big match for them. Uh, thank you once again. I've been joined by Philip Bargiel and Eric Devin. I've been Lewis McParlin, and I hope you do have a lovely week coming ahead. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>